Your mercy endures. Your mercy endures. It's a, it's a great line that we find from the scriptures themselves that remind us that no matter where we've been or what we've been through or what we've done, that the mercy of God is long enough and high enough and broad enough and deep enough to consume any wrong that we've done and cover any wrong that has been done to us. So let me pray for us and then we'll hear from the word together. God, I thank you that your mercy is enough. I thank you that the, the strokes of your grace are so broad that they can cover over any thought, any comment, any action, any temptation that we have succumbed to in the last hours, days, or, or years. Jesus, I thank you that you use the scriptures to remind us that, that it's, your, it's your mercy that draws us to a point of repentance, of apology. It's your gentleness that invites us to have an honest conversation with you about where we've been and what we've done and who we hope to be as a result of your great love and kindness. God, I pray that you'd remove any, any barriers, spiritual, emotional, psychological, physical, that would prevent us from hearing your voice and your truth that illuminates what we need to know about who you are, about who we are, and about how it is you're calling us to live. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week was Father's Day, and I hope for you dads, you were celebrated in good measure. I got a letter from my seven-year-old daughter that I think she wrote with the help of her school teacher that said this. It said, Dear Dad, um, you look like Chewy, which is our family dog, but you have a better attitude. And uh, I, I don't know if that's very high praise to say that your character barely eclipses that of the family pet, but I'll take it. I'll, ta I'll take whatever it is that they want to give me. When we celebrate a, a dad, what we're saying is not just thanks for all the things that you've done for us, but thank you for who you are. Thank you for your character. And that's exactly the basis for the gratitude of the psalmist that we find in Psalm 106. The writer says this, it says, Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Blessed are those who act justly, who always do what is right. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them, that I may joy, enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation and join your inheritance and giving praise. Uh, we've sinned. We, we've screwed up, even as our ancestors did. We've done wrong and acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his namesake to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. He led them through the depths as though through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe, from the hand of the enemy. He redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. In these few short verses, we realize that the people of Israel, God's ancient chosen people, there's a pattern. They praise God for doing something good. Then they forget that God did something good. 
then they rebel against God's goodness, then they repent for their rebellion, then they receive God's mercy, and then this cycle gets repeated over and over and over. It's interesting because the psalmist declares that God did this amazing thing for the people at the Red Sea, and sometimes we forget that God did a miracle before they arrived at the Red Sea. And if you don't know the backstory, the people of Israel were enslaved for 400 years. They were oppressed by the Egyptians, and God sent these plagues to let Egypt, the rulers of Egypt, know that these people mattered to him and they needed to release him. And the tenth of those plagues was what God was called the death of the firstborn. And God told the Egyptians, if you don't let my people go, I'm going I'm to slay all of your firstborn sons, the heirs to the throne of Egypt. But God provided a way out for the Israelites. He goes, if you slaughter a lamb and you place the blood of that lamb over your doorpost, God's judgment will pass over you and you will be spared. And when those events did in fact happen... Pharaoh finally relented and let the people go. So there was, this, there was this snapshot before they ever got to the Red Sea about God's power and about God's goodness and about God's invitation for them to trust his promises. And in many ways, that what they, the Israel tradition calls it the Passover, that first Passover moment should have been the only reminder that they needed, that God was good, that God was faithful, that God could be trusted. But they, like we, often have short, term spiritual memory loss. And there are two episodes in this particular psalm that require some backstory. Let me continue in verse 13. But they soon forgot what God had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. Anybody ever try to rush ahead of God? God's like, hey, I got this, trust me. And you're like, yeah, I'm on a deadline. I'm going to do it my way. And then that doesn't work out so good. Has that happened to anybody who wasn't me? No, don't raise your hands. It's okay. They forgot, when we forget what he has done, we try to outrun his wisdom, and that ends badly. In the desert, they give in to their craving. In the wilderness, they put God to the test, so he gave them what they asked for. He sent a wasting disease among them. In the camp, they grew envious of Moses and of Aaron, who was consecrated to the Lord. The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan. It buried the company of Abiram. Fire blazed among their followers, and the flame consumed the wicked if you are new to the Psalms or new to the Old Testament, some of these events require some clarification. Verse 14 says, In the desert they gave in to their craving. They put God to the test. Now, God has miraculously provided for these people by liberating them from Egypt. And then he feeds them in the desert with this bread from heaven called manna. But after a while, the people get bored. They decide they don't want to be on an all-carb diet anymore. And they start complaining. They're like, we want meat. They go, in Egypt, we had fish all the time and it was free. And I almost wonder if God said, of course. You had all, you could have, you had grand fish buffet. You were also, in case you forgot, slaves. And sometimes we have to decide whether we want free fish and no, no liberty, or whether we want to be sons and daughters of God and trust God to provide for our needs in God's way and in God's time. God says, you want to eat meat? I will give you more than you can eat. God sends a miraculous swarm of quail, and the people are literally neck deep in meat. I don't know if you've ever been neck deep in meat at the beginning. If you're a carnivore like I am, you're like, this is amazing. And then 45 minutes later, you're like, this was a horrible idea. <laughs> so I, like, I'm a burger junkie, so whenever like that web tease, like the, when I was reading the internet news, and it said five best burger joints in America, and I had to read that and print it out and memorize it so that I could visit all of them. And there was a particular chain that I'd never heard of before that was like popping up on the East Coast. 
So I hunted them down when I was in New York and I ate them. They, had, I, they have this burger called a Smoke Shack burger. It's barbecue bacon. It is delectable. And so every time I went to, like I would, almost, I would almost rearrange my flight so I could go through the terminal that fed me those burgers when I was in New York. When they came to Chicago, I was excited. And then when I found out that they were coming to Detroit where I lived at the time, I was ecstatic. And what made it even better is that my wife's childhood friend is married to the regional manager, so he got us in for the grand opening. And so before it was even open to the general public, my wife and I are in this small group of esteemed guests, and you don't even order food. They just have servers with trays walking around with them. And they're like, would you like a smoke shack? I'm like, that's the only reason I came. And um, five minutes later, they're like, would you like another? I'm like, well, you're handing them out, and they're free, so I, 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 don't, I wanna help you do your job. Let me take that off your hands. Then eight minutes later, they're like, would you like a chicken burger? I'm like, well, I've never had one before. I would, I would be um, rejecting God's great provision in this moment if I bypassed it. And then you add in the milkshakes and the brownies and the cheese fries and the, and the onion rings. And I got, I got about, you know, an hour and a half into this. I'm like, that was a bad idea. <laughs> like there is such a thing as too much good meat. This is what the Israelites are gonna learn in a hot minute. This is, this is what we read. In Numbers chapter 11, all that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered meat, quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. It depends. There are debates about how to measure this, but, but even the most conservatives say that everybody, everybody in the camp had like gallons, gallons plural of meat. That's a lot. Then they spread them all out around the camp, but while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed mid-bite, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kabroth Hata'ava because they buried the people who had craved other food. One translation of Kabroth Hata'ava literally means graves of craving. So it is possible for our appetites when gone unchecked to destroy us. This passage teaches us that when we're ungrateful, we want better food, not just literal physical food, but sometimes we reject the soul food that God has provided, and we want more. We want different. We want better. But verse 16 says, he gave them what they asked for, but he also included a wasting disease. Have you ever heard somebody tell you, be careful what you wish for? You just might get it. Sometimes I think God says that to us. Because you want that? You really want that? Knock yourself out. Let me know how that works out for you. Sometimes we believe, what we believe should dictate what we desire, not, not the other way around. And you'd hope that an ungrateful people would learn their lesson after one crisis. They do not. They fail to understand that cravings before creeds, appetites before beliefs, cause chaos. Psalm 106.16 says, In the camp they grew envious of Moses and Aaron, the people that God had ordained to lead that people. And after the quail crisis, there was a mutiny. Three leaders, Dathan, Korah, and Abiram, challenged Moses and Aaron's right to lead the nation. Any of you Black Panther fans out there know that there's such a thing as challenge day. There is a reigning king, but anybody can challenge the king. And if they fight that king and win, they get to be king. That's what's happening here. It's challenge day in the camp of Israel. And Moses says, all right, fine. You, you offer incense, you offer your act of worship before God, and I'll offer my act of worship before God, and, and we'll let God settle the stories. Like, meet me at the bike racks after school with your censors. We're going to figure this thing out. So here's what we read in Numbers chapter 16. 
Then Moses said to the people, a couple million people gathered for this display, this is how you will know the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. Moses is having a bad day at the office. It's like, I didn't sign up for any of this. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens up its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you will know that all these men have treated the Lord with contempt. Not me with contempt, treated the Lord with contempt. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm an Israelite who's sitting on the front row, I'm like, dang, this is about to get interesting. And as soon as he finished saying all of this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. God's so frustrated with who they are and what they've done, not only is he going to destroy them and their families and their business associates, he's even going to destroy their stuff. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned, and the earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community in an instant. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, the earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Now some of you would say, well, that sounds a little extreme. But which God is doing this? The same God who gave them very specific instructions about the Passover. And what did he say at the Passover? If you trust me, I'll protect you. And when they got to the Red Sea, he goes, if you trust me, I'll protect you. When they got to the quail, if you trust me, I'll protect you. So people have had, they've, they've read the warning on the box, disobedience causes death. They, they know this, but they keep forgetting. And if the ungrateful want better food or better resources, the arrogant want better influence. Sometimes our cravings are a response to our physical appetites. Sometimes our cravings are an expression of our psychological or emotional appetites. It's like, I need more influence. I need more status. I need more notoriety. I need more weight at the office. And so I'll start cutting character corners in order to get there. These people were not challenging Moses' authority. They were challenging God's. They nurtured appetites that weren't from God and ambitions that opposed God himself. And when I want more than what God has given me, whether it is stuff or whether it is influence, it betrays my core belief that I do not believe that God is good. And many of us, when we go toe-to-toe -to -toe with temptation, the question that we're, we're asking isn't, do I have enough power to overcome this? The question that we're asking is, do I believe that God is good? Do I believe that doing this moment in a way that honors God will ultimately result in my good and his glory or not? Story continues, Psalm 106. It says, at Horeb, another place in the desert, they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glorious God for the image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. <laughs> Check this. It says they exchanged their, the glorious God for a bull which eats grass. I don't know why they chose to include that detail, except for the fact that the irony is that these are the people who are bent out of shape because they didn't have any meat. Now they're going to worship something that has lower culinary standards than they do. Now why, would, why would they choose a calf? Because in ancient Egyptian mythology, Apis was a sacred bull. He was the son of Hathor, the goddess of music and joy. And the people keep looking over their shoulders. 
Like, it was better in Egypt. It was better in Egypt. It was better in Egypt. This life in the desert is hard. This trusting the God that we can't see is hard. We haven't had a great party in a long time. Let's, let's reboot the system. Let's just, let's just switch out. How, how much worse could a new God be than the one who we don't feel is serving us well now? And so while Moses is on top of this mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, the people make an idol and throw a party. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and all the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the, he threw the tablets, these tablets that God had written the Ten Commandments on, out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He's like, how do you, how do you like that idol now? He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such a great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. See what Aaron's doing there? That's a complete and total evasion of responsibility. Why? Because that's what spiritual rebellion always leads us to do, is blame somebody else. So say, well, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. This all, all caught me by surprise. This just calf came up out of nowhere. Well, we know that's not true. You go back a couple of verses, it says that Aaron actually like, tried to shape the calf out of, a, out of a tool. He sculpted it himself. So Moses goes back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed they have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses is such a great leader that he goes, God, if you have to take me out of your family to spare these people, then do it. He's putting, their, he's putting the interests of an obnoxious, rebellious, ungrateful people above his own. But God, who is slow to anger and rich in mercy, hears Moses' prayer and forgives the people. The psalm continues in verse 23. It says, He said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him and kept his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. He swore to them with uplifted hand that he would make them fall in the wilderness, make their descendants fall among the nations, scatter them throughout the land. They yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. They roused the Lord's anger by their wicked deeds and a plague broke out among them. But Phinehas stood up and intervened and the plague was checked. This is credited to him as righteousness for endless generations to come. Now this whole Baal of Peor and Phinehas episode requires some backstory too. And we find it in Numbers chapter 25. It says, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women. And God said, I, I want you... To stay connected with your tribe. Now that wasn't being like an ethnocentric God. But he was saying for this season. I want you to stick with people who are embracing the code that you believe in. Other people will lead you astray. So they began to engage in sexual immorality with Mo the Moabite women. Who invited them to the sacrifices of their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked. They paired. They tied themselves to the Baal of Peor. Which is, which is the god of that territory. And the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. 
So Moses said to Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your people who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. Now, I want you to note the progression here. The people began to indulge in sexual immorality first, and then, and only then, did they turn to idol worship. They started relationships with their partners, and then in deference to their partners, they started offering sacrifices to their partners' gods. Their convictions were not telling them how to order their sexuality. Their cravings were telling them what to believe. Their cravings were telling them what to believe. It was as if they said, as we sometimes say, I know what I want, and I'm going to do it. Now I just need a version of a God who will accommodate my personal agenda. The unbelieving people want better gods and cravings without creeds keep causing chaos. So let's review. God splits the sea for Israel. Then God sends quail for Israel and then has to correct them for their cravings at Kerbath Hadaaba. God meets a challenge to his authority and splits the earth to consume Korah. God threatens to destroy the people at Horeb and, more, and Moses splits the stones in anger. God sees the people worship the Baal of Peor and intervenes again to spare the nation. Here's what we need to understand. These are not multiple generations of Israelites committing these crimes against God. It's the same people making the same mistakes over and over and over again. And just when you think they'll turn the corner, they find a new low. They find a deeper bottom. Psalm 106 continues in verse 32. It says, By the waters of Meribah they angered the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them. For they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with other nations and adopted their customs. They worshipped their idols, which became a snare, a trap to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to false gods. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was desecrated by their blood. They defiled themselves by what they did. By their deeds, they prostituted themselves. Therefore, the Lord was angry with his people and abhorred his inheritance. He gave them into the hands of the nations, and their foes ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and subjected them to their power. It's almost as if God said to Israel, you can do what you want. But you've got to ask yourself, are the choices that I'm making, me lead, are they leading me to the place that I really want to go? I think God says the same thing to us. You, can do, you are free to do what you want. Are the choices that you are making leading you to the places that you want to go? Are they leading you to become the kind of person that you want to be or not? Verse 30, uh, 43 says this, Many times he delivered them. Many times he delivered them. Many times he delivered them. But they were bent on rebellion, and they wasted away in their sin. Yet he took note of their distress, and when he heard their cry for, the sake, for their sake, he remembered his covenant, and out of his great love he relented. He caused all who had held them captive to show them mercy. Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. The psalmist is saying, God, our ancestors rebelled and you forgave them. And then he said this, 
and so have we. And you are forgiving us. God split the sea for Israel. God split the earth for Israel. God split the stones for Israel. And God split the veil for us. As much as we want to separate ourselves from those people long ago, we've seen our cravings, our arrogance, our ingratitude lead us to reject God's love and wisdom too. And sometimes we make mistakes. And sometimes our rebellion is premeditated. Sometimes we know exactly what we're doing and we do it anyway. Other, other times we just, we just lose it in a moment. It happened to me this last week. I was making like a breakfast protein smoothie for my son. He and I have this ritual where we make this protein mocha milk peanut butter smoothie thing. And I make two of them. And then we go down and watch Sports Center to start off our day. It's a glorious little thing that we do. And on this one particular day, he wanted to help. Anybody ever have a child help when you're operating an automated appliance that has a blade on it? It's awesome. And so I've got, the, I've got the, the thing going, and this is like my prize blender. Like, we, we, we've, had, we've owned cheap blenders, but we upgraded for this one. And just very innocently, he puts his hand on the side. Well, it rocks it off of its rotor. And anybody know that horrifying sound of metal grinding on metal? And in my mind, one of two bad things is going to happen. That blade's going to spin out, and somebody's going to get hurt. Or there's going to be smoothie mix all over our white cabinets. One of those is worse than the other. And in a, in a moment of, like, deep emotional immaturity, I yelled at him, like, what are you doing? kind of the same conversation that I had with my daughter who thought it'd be fun to pull the emergency brake when I was driving down the highway. It's like, I, I, you have not thought this through. And five minutes later, I couldn't find him. And I went upstairs and he's weeping in his bed with his pillow over his head. Now, did I, did I mean to traumatize? Did I intend to traumatize a nine-year-old? with my volume and my tone and my words when I kind of went into a moment of uncertain panic? No, but I did it, I did it anyway, and it was wrong. And there are some times where we say, well, well, I just, I had a bad day, I'll apologize and we'll fix it. And God said, well, what happens if the wound was deeper than you anticipated? What do you do then? And I think the psalmist is wise enough to be able to say, there are some holes that we get ourselves into that we cannot, cannot fix. And no amount of immediate apologies make it immediately right. And as much as I want to say, I'm different, I'm better, I know more than those clueless Israelites who kept forgetting God's goodness, I do it all the time. And maybe you do too. But here's the good news. Just like God sent a lamb to Israel, an innocent lamb for them to slay, and put the, blood put the blood of that lamb on their posts for them to be rescued. God does it again for us. Rather than continue to send plagues and fire to generation after generation, God gives us a perfect lamb in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, who lived a life without flaw, without error, without offense, willingly went to a Roman cross to absorb the justice and the wrath and the rightful vengeance of God that every single one of us deserve to have poured out on our lives. Matthew 27 says, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple which divided a holy God from an unholy people was torn in two from top to bottom. The fact that it was torn in two from top to bottom and it, because it was a 90-foot ceiling shows that it was God's initiative that was opening the door 
for connection, for forgiveness, for restored relationship between God and us. And when that happened, the earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the body of many people, holy people who had died, were raised to life. So in an earlier chapter, God used powerful moments to remind people that they needed his mercy. And in this moment, God's judgment doesn't fall on us, it falls on Jesus Christ. And the door is open not for us to be slain for our offenses against God, but for us to be forgiven and redeemed and restored. Instead of killing reckless people again, Jesus creates a path for them to find a way back home. It's only against the backdrop that Israel has done that the psalmist can say, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. He shows favor to his people and rescues them even when they don't deserve it. And for us, for me, the goodness of God only comes into focus when I am honest about how much I need his goodness. The mercy of Jesus Christ is only great when I can be candid about the depth of my offenses that require that mercy to be real. 